Hi, I'm Courtney. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, this is difficult and this is intimidating, so I'm not really sure what, which one I'll do. Um, uh, for those of you at home, I was trying to decide whether or not to wear my glasses. Uh, I'm Courtney. I'm a compulsive overeater once again. And um, thank you, Lauren, for inviting me to lead this meeting. It's truly an honor. Sounds trite, but it really is. If any of you have ever stood up here before, you, you understand. Um, um, to qualify, wow, I truly qualify. Um, I've been a compulsive overeater my whole life. I can tell the toddler stories of the constant, you know, utensil in the jar of that or the hands in the jar of this from a very young age. Um, I'm, n- would, I'm not adverse to the position that this is hereditary. I, I grew up within it. Um, in my own family, um, as well as in my culture. And uh, whenever I do lead a meeting, I do always kind of start out by saying that um, my biggest problem was I didn't understand that, um, that the way that I, that my relationship to food, food was a problem. Because it, it was my norm, and it was my family's norm, and it was my culture's norm. So, and I, as a child and a young person, I had very little experience outside of that, those concentric circles. So I had no frame of reference for anything else. And therefore, I didn't understand that it was a problem. I thought a diet soda all day, followed by my favorite foods in the evening. Um, no, I, I, I'm not even trying to be funny. I thought that that was normal. That was, in kind of, candidly, no, 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 let me, re, let me rephrase. It was normal. It just wasn't healthy. Um, uh, you know, we humans are used to that. Um, and, and that went on for decades. So I'm not, this, is, this wasn't merely like, oh, teens in college and maybe grad school or whatever. You know, this went on for decades for me. Um, I will also say that I used to go to friends' homes who and, and they were what we would call normies. The, the friends were normies. Their families were normies. They were certainly from a different culture than my own to some degree. And as a young person and as a not-so-young person, um, my response was always one of sort of feeling like a pity. I felt sorry for these people who didn't seem to enjoy their food. And that's the, way, that's the way I experienced it. I experienced people who ate a healthy plate of food, a balanced meal, a normally sized meal, a, 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 um, in my opinion, a ridiculously small sweet thing following the meal, um, as people to feel sorry for. They clearly were sad. They clearly didn't enjoy life. Um, and that is truly the way that I experienced experienced it as a child and then as I got older and started to become what I could only charitably refer to as confused by the difference between my eating and other people's eating Um, and and confused is a euphemism as you know but I you know maybe on my most most denial in infused days I was confused by what was going on Um, I, I still felt as though their way was couldn't possibly be the way and I also could not imagine giving up my food it was it was inconceivable so that's my history with 
food, the reason or the way that I came into the rooms and the way that I did, in fact, come crawling into the rooms. Adam, am I speaking loud enough? Okay. Um, um, was that, uh, and this is part of my story and part of my relationship with food, and if it helps anybody, I'm happy to speak further about it at any time um, because being open about it is a really big deal for me now. But I have a really lengthy and fairly intense uh, relationship with anxiety, um, a, a, the diagnosable form. Um, and so, and, in, and I grew up in a time where nobody quite really knew what to do with this. It was, you, we put a Band-Aid on it every time it would flare up, and then it was always followed by something sweet or some sort of large meat or, or my favorite restaurants in the evening. So it's difficult for me to dissect my anxiety or what I have to really say is my anxiety disorder and eating because that was my medication because there was no other medication and I'm, that medications is a different story and it's a long conversation and it's actually irrelevant. Um, to standing here before you now and what I may or may not do. But what I can tell you unequivocally now is I don't medicate with food, or at least not to the degree that I once did. Um, so I was on this long journey. Medicate, for all intents and purposes, the medications weren't working for me, and I had to seek out other means of recovering from anxiety because my life was unmanageable from the noise going on in between my ears and my inability to discern from actual concern or danger and imagined or create or self-created and then the use of food so I was kind of on that journey and I uh, accessed absolutely everything I could access um, and when those resources ran out those sources and the resources actually waned and ran out somebody suggested there were there may be a 12-step solution for me and I found my way into the family program and I sobbed my way through the family program for about a year because not because I was in so much pain, but because I couldn't quite believe that not only was I not the only person with these issues, but I was a textbook version of a person with these issues. And that took about, it took about a, not quite a year to get over just the pure incredulity of that experience. Because I was not a young person by that time. I was well into my 40s. And so that's a long time to think the world is one way or to think your life is one way or to think you are one way and then to sort of literally walk into a room of about this many people and discover no I mean that it, that took a long time to rewire and it wasn't until I was in a room in another city with a close friend that I had known since college days who had a lot of recovery in various programs and he had set out a plate of sweets and he ate a few and I consumed the rest during our conversation. And he said, very lovingly, he said, would you like to talk about your eating? Or that's not actually what he said. <laughs> what he said is, do you want to talk about the number of X's that you just ate? Um, do you want to talk about this? And I didn't, I have, there's a horrible expression my father uses. I didn't, that, you know, I didn't know where to bleep or go blind. You know, and I just like, I didn't. But it's appropriate. Like I didn't, I didn't know how to respond, but I had enough recovery in 12 steps to know that a response was not called for. I had enough recovery in the rooms to know not to literally in the moment respond, but to be quiet and to listen to. I could, I could weep. Excuse me, but to be quiet and to listen to somebody who had more recovery than I did. 
Um, so I was just quiet. And I went to my other, I had the week in New York. It was a little tricky for various, uh, various other reasons. Um, I went to my other thing. I did, I did other things. But when I flew home, I did take the little quiz online. You know, if you can answer yes to three or more of these questions, you may have a problem with food. It's very, it's very sweet and gentle, the way the website puts it, I think. Um, and I answered yes to almost all of them. Uh, so I was in my first meeting that night um, in Los Feliz, 6.30. It was a food plan meeting, so I thought, oh, cool, Overeaters Anonymous, we're just gonna, you're going to come to these rooms and you're going to talk about your food. Um, you're going to talk about your meal plan. And so, of course, it took a, a second meeting to realize that was not the case. But it was very helpful. And, and here's the third sort of section or the third theme is that during the meeting or after the meeting, I don't quite recall, but two different women in the night, they, they tore off pieces of paper from something they had with them, and I saw them scribbling something down. And they turned to me, one I think turned to me during the meeting, and then one came up to me after the meeting. And they handed me a piece of paper. You know, and, she's, and, and so deeply, sincerely invited me to call them, each of them. And I had never had that experience before. I had had can I call you, or can you help me with this, or you're so great at this, will you help me out, or whatever it was, you know, or, or I want to be there for you, but really there's something else going on. But it was the only time, I think, in my life, and by now I'm 44, 44 years old, I think, at that point, that, um, that I felt that there were these two individuals who were inviting me to ring them, and I could tell it was going to cost me nothing. Or at the very most, it was gonna, what it was going to cost me was pay it forward. You know, I could tell from being in the rooms, and I could tell from being in the other rooms, no, this is pure, this is for real, call me. And, I, and you can tell, I'm still to this day, and this was, you know, March of 2012, to this day I still find that one of the most moving experiences I've had in these rooms. Um, and I did ring them, and um, they were lovely. And and um, and I started going to meetings all over town. Like if I, I just started going to meetings. <clears throat> but um, the reason why that story is so pertinent is, and it won't come as a surprise. And I'm certain that many of us will, many people in the room and can and, and here can relate. Is what I haven't yet said is I haven't used the I word, but clearly, I, or maybe not so clearly, I was a hardcore isolator. And again, that was all that I knew. That was what I grew up with. So. Um, it was kind of uncool to join in. Join, joining things was not very cool in my family and in my world. And, or what it turned out to be was really joining certain things was cool and joining other things was, was not. Um, sort of organized religion was uncool. Um, you know what I mean? Like certain things, were, certain things were cool, certain things were uncool. Um, joining organized religion, those kinds of things, uncool. Um, and isolating was the norm. I won't say it's, it's cool, but it was the, certainly the norm. And so, and that kind of goes along with the other norms that I was discussing earlier. Um, so, to to to, jo- to go into twelve step took that maybe why it took so many years and so many suggestions from others. And then, but the but that suggestion that I come to OA, I, I guess I was ready. My point is, I guess I was ready for it. And those women giving me those, their names or those numbers were so moving because it was the first, it was one of the few moments in my life where I felt that I was in that graceful 
you know, um, fulcrum, on the point of the fulcrum of that threshold of no longer isolating but not needing to fear that more was going to be required of me than I was willing to give. So that, that I kind of hold on to that. I have, their, I have those slips of paper still with me, not with me, but in my car. Um, I keep them. Um, so it's just a, sort of a shining little moment of grace for me that I, that I sort of, that I hold on to. Um, and um, putting down the food has been the greatest source of recovery for me in releasing, in, in releasing anxiety. Um, so that was what I first noticed when I laid down the food, when I let go of the food. So I, was, I wanted that so badly that that first night in March of 2012 and that that food plan meeting, and you know, so there's a lot of discussion of, like, of sort of how do you identify and what's your abstinence. And I didn't even miss a beat. I knew my abstinence was, okay, starting tonight, I can't binge. And what a binge looked like for me in the evening, right, was just an endless, um, you, know, a, you know, that table that we see in the movies. So that, end, like that more than you can eat, that all you can eat more than you can eat type of a meal. Um, so, you know, without a, without a boundary. And so I knew when I went home that evening and I was going to gather my food on the way home, which I did, <clears throat> I knew that at least for one night, that night, my food had to have a perimeter around it. Had to have a corral. It's kind of the way I thought about it, like horses in a corral, like wild horses in a corral. <clears throat> but it did. 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 Um, so since that night, my food has had a corral on it. Now there were a couple of days, a couple of weeks in the first ten months of program where I could feel that like the horses were pushing at the corral, right? And so I and I would talk and I had a sponsor and I would talk with my sponsor and we'd start over. So I had about 10 months of mostly abstinence, but a few days here, a couple weeks there, where she said, no, 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 let's restart. No, 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 let's restart. Let's restart because you need." she wanted me to learn to feel what it felt like to have an end to my meal, to have a perimeter around the food, whether it's like one, whatever that means, um, and to not go beyond those boundaries. So, you know, it was about 10 months of, of 30, 60, day, nine, you know, chips and pushing and I don't want this and I'm not ready and flipping out or whatever it was. But my abstinence state is um, um, from, from no binging is December, excuse, yeah, December 14th of 12. And about six months later, as you can imagine, life gets tricky when you set down the food and you have anxiety and then you start to like survey the wreckage of your past. So so much of the last four or five years is the surveying of the wreckage of my past in different layers, like a video game, like different layers. And the more food I let go of, the more surveying I do, <laughs> the clearer I see. Um, and my higher power, my higher power, I always believed in a higher power. Believing in a higher power actually may be part and parcel of having anxiety. At least it has, was for me. So um, I, I, I always believed in a higher power. I was, it was just uh, my higher power was something to be afraid of. 
And I couldn't, again, like I couldn't conceive of putting down the food. I couldn't conceive of a higher power that wasn't a threat. Um, But because of wanting to overcome anxiety, because of coming to these rooms, because of consistently coming to meetings, because of having a sponsor, because of being willing in increments to 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 let go of my food, because of being willing to feel my feelings, because of being willing to see how my compulsive behaviors, plural, are merely addictions. And the 12 steps can help provide me with relief and or recovery from those behaviors, which they have. Um, I started magically to experience my higher power as a little less threatening. That if I stopped experiencing my higher power as a threat, perhaps my higher power would stop be- being a threat. Um, and that's, that's been my experience. Um, so, but this has been an increment. So, especially if you're new. So, all I could do when I first came in was put the perimeter around the food. But about six months later, facing the wreckage of my past, feeling like it's ha- feeling very much like a deer in the headlights. I was, thank you. I was sitting at a, it's five more minutes, right? Okay. I was sitting at a dinner, a, a dinner meeting, and they came and put the basket of, glory on, on the table before the meeting before the, before the dinner before the meeting and my colleague wasn't there yet and I looked at this basket and all I knew was alright I feel overwhelmed by the vicissitudes I'm navigating right now with my life in my life right now and, I, and they weren't new it was just that I was seeing them and I thought if I eat that because my absence that, at that day was just no, no, you know, a perimeter um, but I thought, if, that, if I eat that, then I'm going to have two problems. So I'm not going to eat that. And I'm going to do this dinner meeting without that. So that, And that was the beginning of giving up my alcoholic foods. And then more clarity, more vicissitudes, more feelings, but more meetings, more leaning into program, more leaning into my sponsor, more leaning into my fellows, less isolation, more working the steps more service more so more recovery more solution less food so less food didn't mean less problems less food meant more clarity which meant more clarity more clarity means more clarity (laughs) Um, uh, you know and there are many phone calls to oh my god it's too bright it's too bright it's a little too loud it's a little too bright oh my god oh my god oh my god and felt you know the, the fellow on the other end of the phone would usually say something like oh yes you're facing the wreckage of your past and I knew that the only way around, the only way out was through, not around. And I knew that the only way out was through and with less food. Um, and more meetings, more meetings, more meetings, because I'm a hardcore isolator. And more service, which is, and I'm a hardcore pleaser, so service isn't too hard. And, um, um, and more God. I struggled tremendously with the third step, now it's my go-to. Um, I gave up my alcoholic foods I'm currently no flour no sugar not because I'm so fabulous but because I'm now hypoglycemic so my higher power stepped in and did for me what I could not do for myself Um, so all I want to say is if you told me (laughs) six years ago that I would be free-ish from anxiety that I would be free of flour and sugar 
um, and that I'd be and that I would have joined a group. I would have said that's impossible. Those are three impossibilities. Simple, sim- very simply. I wouldn't have laughed at you. I'd have just said no. You know, that's not for me. That's not. That's not me. This is. That's just. That's not me. That won't ever happen. Um, so my story is that it happened incrementally. My sponsor talks about increments of willingness. And I now talk to my fellows and my sponsees about increments of willingness. So when a, a newcomer or somebody is feeling overwhelmed by the, just the largesse of what certain fellows experience in their daily life and in their recovery, I tell them about, you know, I tell them about what I experienced. I tell them about, at first it was just putting a, you know, being willing to go to meetings and putting a corral around my food. And for all I knew, that was going to be it. And so that's my one day at a time. My one day at a time is just, I will do anything to be clear in my mind and not be overwhelmed by the external world. Um, And it's still a path that I walk. Um, And then I tell them about, you know, how four and a half, five years later, I don't eat sugar or flour. That is a miracle. That, That is a miracle. It's trite. But if you're living it, it's just like, no, no, it's a, that's a miracle. So anyway, thank you again, Lauren. And thank you all for listening to me. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. The question is, is how has my recovery affected my romantic relationships in my life, if at all? And my one word answer would be completely. Um, I can't explain it, but prior to coming into the rooms, it's not that I didn't have relationships. Well, I wasn't showing up for them. And because I wasn't showing up for them, I was probably attracting other folks who weren't showing up for me. Not probably. I don't know why I said probably. That was almost certainly what was happening. So there weren't coming, there weren't like absolute, there weren't ceremonies prior. You know what I mean? There wasn't like, there weren't declarations of love and there weren't, there weren't breakups. There were just like these foggy hazes of I think there's a person in my life. Um, almost, <laughs> almost immediately after coming into um, the rooms, uh, I I met someone and the relationship is a good one it's a strong one it's not uh, there still haven't there aren't there haven't been any ceremonies there haven't been any large declarations and yet it's different I feel safe in a way and I don't think I ever did before Um, and again I was talking about the abstinence so incrementally over time I have felt safer I have felt safer to do things or express myself in ways I never believed that I could. I trust in a way I never had prior, but I always wanted to. Um, and I now understand that feeling of 
solidness in a relationship that I don't think I ever did prior to. So oddly with abstinence in both my programs or recovery in both my programs, um, I am no longer completely single or completely singular in the way that I always identified. Um, and it feels like a coincidence, but my sponsor says there are, there's no such thing. Does that answer your question? Okay, thanks. Bleep. I said bleep. It's an expression. It's, it's, it's a, there's a swear word, so I didn't want to go in. It's like there's a little expression, but bleep or go blind would not be inappropriate for this meeting, so we'll just go with that. Oh, oh, no, no, no. I was avoid. I said bleep. I was avoiding a swear word. It's an expression that my that runs through my family, and I love my little family expressions because they provide me with tremendous humor. So I think that's why it came up. But I'm now also going to go with believe or go blind. Um, I'm going to go with that. No, that wasn't the translation at all. It's still a swear word, and I'm still being recorded. Um, gosh, what is the actual expression really? You know, I think it means you, when you just don't know what to do. And golly gee, if that doesn't come up all the time, actually, in program. Um, it's really just my father's way of, of saying something about being a deer in the headlights. Um, but I still struggle with issues of control. Um, can't be a surprise. Don't, I guess we all do to one degree or another and um, I find myself more and more these days in particular catching myself in the middle of my day and saying wait what would it be like if you just let go a little bit more just right now can you can you are you holding on like are you holding on right now like am I holding on I don't know I can't tell like I'm not used to letting go so I don't know sometimes I don't know what it feels like so I find myself more and more, and literally in the last few days, saying, am I letting go? Am I, am I, am I, wah, wah. Um, and, and we don't know, we don't get to know always, we don't have the answers, but I guess I believe that it's a sign of my own recovery that I'm having that thought more and more each day of, am I holding on? Am I gripping? Am I letting go? Can I let go a little bit more? Can I let God a little bit more? So that's what it means in my recovery right now, yeah. Sure. Carol? Um, thanks for your share. You mentioned how you grew up in the culture of the family and what was normal back then. Um, and I'm wondering how uh, the program, how is it with your, when you go back and you have the abortion, I assume your other program helps you out a little bit too, but how are you able to protect yourself and keep yourself and not try to correct them? What's that like? So the question is how how is it being with my family of origin since that is in for want of a better term perhaps the scene of the crime um, my you know I'm oh I, I still have money I have to give this to somebody um, my uh, yes yeah, so it, it, it is a matter of, of family of origin for sure the probably but I am also grateful for many wonderful aspects of being a member of my family and one of it one of those is that we're all fighters we're all fighters um, in the, in, we all fight the good fight is what I mean and so once I knew I had to sort of 
not live in secret about my anxiety or my like all of this like it, it just all comes pouring out so I'm very open with my family about what's going on they've been very receptive they've become more open with me so the bad news is is I grew up in a family of addicts the good news is is I grew up in a family of fighters who fight the good fight still that's our balance that's how we maintain our equilibrium as a family and so most days I'm okay going back with my family I've been struggling a little bit with one particular member of my nuclear family in recent weeks but that's just because I'm facing the wreckage of my past I'm just at level four in the video game of being Courtney um, that's how I experienced it. My, my, my sponsor talks about peeling away the layers of the onion, and I'm not a big video game person, but I, I play one of them. And, you know, the better you get, the harder it gets. And that's how I experienced my recovery. So it's like level one, oh, level two, oh, level three, oh, level four, and I get down to levels. I don't know where I am, where I am right now, but I'm, I'm feeling that, like, oh, this is really hard, hard. This is, I'm at a hard level. And, you know, but the good news is, is my higher power doesn't come in and go, bloop, 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 game over. You know, you need, like, I get to keep playing. As long as I keep going, I do get to keep playing. So, anyway, it's, it's, um, it has its challenges, but it's actually not as onerous as, as it might otherwise be if I didn't have a really loving, caring family. I have never been a roll out of bed and hit the floor person. The morning has always been, for, it sounds really cliche, but my time. But that was long, even long before. That was how I got ready. That's, that was my um, preparedness for a day that I understood could be fraught with some anxiety. So for decades, I've actually, when I wake up, I lie, I, I lie there and I meditate sometimes for an hour as much as an hour when I'm when things aren't going quite so smoothly I will meditate for up to about an hour in the morning sometimes with a cup of warm water and lemon and sometimes with music um, I've recently started meditating more formally you know with like a formal meditation that's actually brand new for me um, I'm finding it tremendously helpful um, Physical exercise was always a major part of my daily routine. Again, to treat the cob, you know, to, to clear out the cobwebs in my, between my ears. Um, programs sort of substituted in, and I started to get a little less physically active. And now I'm getting more physically active. Um, if, if anyone struggles with this, I'll be honest. I struggle with prayer. I struggle with prayer because. I understand that I have no control over anything and so I feel it feels futile to ask for anything so my prayers have always been um, more a process of stopping and being quiet and listening and that's how I experience prayer meditation is different meditation is just being quiet and breathe and just being quiet Prayer is a little bit of a different kind of being quiet. Prayer is I see something that makes me want to lose my mind that I know I have absolutely no control over or that terrifies me. And now I stop and get quiet and just listen and in a funny way ask to be guided. I guess if I ask for anything, I ask to be guided. But I have to do that throughout my day. 
to not to not sort of break my abstinence in my other program to not to not sort of fall into a pattern of psychological experience that is unmanageable for me so if there's a routine it's in the waking up uh, and then if there's a second part to the routine it's that these other experiences are woven in throughout the day and since I've become more comfortable with my third step I have more of those prayerful moments Does that answer the question my higher power okay um, I'm going to try I'm going to try not to I'm going to stand up just because I'm speaking to somebody in the back so please share a, a more vivid uh, illuminate, uh, illustration of my higher power and I'm going to do my best not to be too Freudian because um, I was actually thinking about that and I thought oh okay so my higher power was and was and remains Okay, my higher power was a, a, a benevolent dictator. But now my higher power is a benevolent dictator. Does that make sense? No, I, I'm sorry. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to be funny. No, I, I was. No, do you know what I'm saying? There, like before, he was a... He... he sorry. Um, he was a benevolent dictator. But, he, but, I, but I feared this entity. And now there, the emphasis is on benevolent. It's not a dem- it's not it doesn't feel like a democracy to me. Um, I still don't feel like I get a say. I think I'm still working on that. People spoke about like putting a one ad for their hire, you know, doing all these really fun, creative, participatory things and seeking their higher power in recovery. And I think, oh wow, that sounds really good. Kind of like I look at folks who can eat, you know, sweet things. I'm like, oh, that looks really good. Um, I'm not there yet. I, I mean, I'd like to think that I'm on my way, and I would like to, and I trust because of my last five and four, whatever it's been, years. Because where I was is not where I am. So I do kind of trust that it will continue to evolve, that I will continue to feel safer. So that's the way I would describe. And it does, and forgive me if the room will forgive me, if the listeners will forgive me, it does feel, he, he feels male. So that's why I was sort of, you know, not wanting to sound a little too sort of Vienna, you know, 1890. Um, anyway, thank you. Thanks for that. Is there, I'm sorry, are there more, do I have more time? Quick question? Okay. Sorry, this person? <laughs> Do you have uh, any specific strategies for when you're going on vacation? Do I have strategies for going on vacation? No, none. I traveled for work. I mean, I was, I was on. I mean, I was in and out of locations, different various parts of the world. Not to be over glamorize myself, but like. To, I mean, I was really all over the place. Thank you for. Oh, time's up. No, sorry. Oh, sorry. No, okay. Um, 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 for for years and years and years. So living out of a suitcase was my norm, um, and then staying put became a new norm, a different norm. But I I still experience. I don't experience being outside of my home as being unusual. So I, it's never affected 
my anxiety, <laughs> my peacefulness, my food, anything. It doesn't, it's never affected it. Now, I'm not going to lie, I was just on a vacation in, an, in, in a part of the world where sugar and flour are gods. And so <laughs> that was difficult. Okay, so for the first time, so the no sugar, no flour being away from home was not a walk in the woods. It was not. It was not a stroll through the tulips. Um, but it wasn't... It, it just was a, it was like, it was like, you know, you've got to breathe, you've got to brush your teeth, you've got to find a place to sleep, you've got to eat. It wasn't, other than in that moment of annoyance, it wasn't more than that. So I'm sorry that I may not be very helpful on, on the travel, but um, my story might be a little unusual in that respect. So not at all, actually, not at all. It's just a different time zone. Did you have a question? I find myself overthinking my shoelaces. <laughs> so I think that that would might is probably a sufficient answer <laughs> because this person had a question. Yes. No, no. Right. You know, it's interesting. Probably this was the last time we have had the last question. It actually dovetails quite a bit on do I overthink. So, in a buffet situation, like it's, we can use the word buffet, right? In a buffet situation, my overthinking or my tendency towards OCD, <laughs> a little bit of OCD, actually helps me. Because I'll, I'll experience, you know, the, the vastness of all there is available in, in the universe to eat at that moment. And I, because I'm a little, a little uh, highly wrought in between the ears, I can sort of create the perimeter. You know, I mean, I can kind of create, I can kind of look at it all and I come up with, I can sort of almost instantly come up with a set of rules for myself. So... That is glorious. Let's start with vegetables. Can I, I'm sorry, can I say foods? Okay, so that is glorious. I'm going to start with vegetables. I'm going to take all the vegetables I like. And if there's, if I'm still hungry, I'll go back for fruit. Like I'll create a little game for myself when there's really more than I can handle. Now that game isn't so, isn't such a big deal anymore now that I can't eat sugar and flour. Now that I can't eat sugar and flour, I'm not going to lie. It's been a little bit of a license to like have at it um, at first. Because I was like, what the? What do you mean? Um, but even recently and through the help of working with my sponsor, the have at it has gone away and my meals are smaller than they've ever been. And so before giving up flour and sugar, I, I created a set of artificial rules, like almost like a game for myself to navigate a buffet absolutely and peacefully. And it was not an issue. It was a little bit fun. Um, so that I wasn't overwhelmed. Now that I don't eat flour and sugar anymore, it's actually, tech, it, when you're in front of those places, I mean, there's not, your choices are almost made for you. You know, and I don't, I'm not, a, I don't, 
I never binged on protein and vegetables and fruit. I just didn't. You know, I'm like, I don't know, it's going to come as a huge shock, but I didn't. Um, and, and, and all I can say now, nowadays, is I know what flour and sugar tastes like. I could almost cry. I could cry. I know what it tastes like. I had my share. You know, 48 years, flour and sugar, never wanted for any of it. Um, I don't have any. Compl- I don't have anything to complain about. I'm grateful. So anyway, thanks everybody. Oh, I think that's it. Thank you.